a little while ago while we were down at the uh, uh, discipleship, this discipleship class. By the way, if you could make it to that discipleship class, you will be blessed. You will be blessed. If you want to grow in your spiritual walk, it's a place to go. Uh, but I was sharing with them that it, it becomes a little bit more challenging for me to stand here. Uh, I, I was used to preaching uh, Fridays and Sundays, Fridays and Sundays for week to week, year to year. And now it's just every so often. So it gets just a little bit more challenging coming in here and, and looking at all of you guys. See, from this, from your end, it's two eyes looking at you guys. From my end, it's a whole bunch of eyes looking at me. So it's just, a, it's just a little bit tough. It's just a little bit tough. <laughs> Love you too. Love you too. Um, nevertheless, nevertheless, uh, it's a joy to preach the word of God. It is a passion of, uh, preaching is a passion of mine, and, uh, and, and it's a joy to share the word, to share the word with you. And especially this, this morning, we're, we're going to have a, um, it's a beautiful passage. Open up the Word of God to Mark chapter 14, verses 30, 32 to 42. And we're going to read it in a little bit. Uh, but we're in, in the 14th chapter of Mark. And we're going through the history uh, of Mark and the Passion Week of our Lord. Uh, the crucifixion and the resurrection. Uh, the, the text that we're on, it's a very familiar text. Uh, it's, the, it's the agony of, the, um, of our Lord in, in the Garden of Gethsemane. The Lord's agony in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, and if you guys have, uh, remember, if you, if you remember when we started the book of Mark, uh, we have seen, we have seen our, our Lord in, in all his splendor. Uh, Mark has shown us, Mark has shown us that there was no one that talked or taught like our Lord. He had power over darkness. He had power over the demons, over Satan. He cast demons out. They were afraid of him. He had power over disease, could heal every and any kind of disease. He had power over the nature, over nature. You remember? Quiet down the storm. Nature obeyed him. He had power over death. He would raise the dead. Amazing power. Amazing display of power. So we have seen all of that. But this morning we're, we're going to see another side of our, of our Lord. Our text gave us a very rich and profound insight into his heart. And I pray... And I pray, as I was singing, I was thinking about this. I pray, I pray that, uh, that as we dig into Scripture, we could see the majesty, the glory of our Savior. And with that, with that, a deeper desire to know Him. A deeper desire to, to serve Him, to obey Him. Because He's glorious. And as we approach our verses, I, I, I think it's a good idea that we, we, we could start, or we should start, with the prophet Isaiah, what he said about the Messiah in Isaiah 5, 53, 3, I'm sorry. Uh, the prophet tells us that the, the Messiah would be a man of sorrows, right? Acquainted with grief. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And that's how we, what, how we titled this, uh, this message, A Man of Sorrows. Now, in the 33 years of life in this world for our Lord... The God-man, he knew all about the sorrows of, of life. He was aware, aware of absolutely everything. He not only saw the, the, the pain of the people, but he felt it. You know how we said sometimes when, when, we, when we talk to someone and, and, and they're going through something or they have a, a loss, and we probably have, had had that experience too, and we say, what do we say? I feel your pain. But it's because we've gone through the same thing, but we don't really know their pain. Everybody's different. Everybody's different. The thing about our Lord is that he literally felt their pain because he knew what was in man's heart. He knew what was in man's heart. 
So he literally felt he, he, the pain. He understood the grief and sorrow that, 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 that comes along with, uh, with a fallen world. Um, sin, disease, unbelief, suffering, poverty, loss, uh, disobedience, ignorance, and definitely and for certain death. He, he knew all of that. So he saw and felt all those needs of, of, of the human, human suffering. And when you read the New Testament, when you read the New Testament, you will never read, you will never read that he laughed or that he was happy. But you do read that he was sad and that he cried. Our Lord was, uh, uh, he experienced sorrow upon sorrow. Uh, uh, um, but as much as sorrow and grief that he experienced in his life, he, he never, never, Never had experienced this type of grief and sorrow like the one we have in our passage. They have called this, uh, and we're going to read it in a little bit, his last temptation. Uh, and it was so. It was his last temptation. And it was so severe uh, that the Bible tells us that it evoked out of him a loud cry, a loud cry in tears. And it was so severe that, that it almost took his life. That's why when we sing these songs of what he did, of, of what he's done for us, it's just like amazing, amazing. And this was the agonizing experience and the, the most agonizing experience in the life of our Lord. So let's read the text. <clears throat> Mark 14, 32 to 42. And they went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, that the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Let's pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for who you are and all you've done for us. There's times that uh, some things are so familiar to us because we hear them all the time that we just don't grasp them completely. We don't meditate on them. Help us, Lord. Help us that we could see your majesty, your glory, your splendor, and how beautiful you are. And again, that we might serve you and obey you and worship you the way we should. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, all of the Gospels, all of the Gospels, Matthew, John, Mark, Luke, they all report this, uh, give us this report of, of what had happened here. And together, if you read all together, all of them, they give you the full picture of, uh, of the full picture of what was happening here. Now, this experience of our Lord's sorrow and, and suffering, the reality of it is that we can't comprehend it. We cannot comprehend it. It's beyond us. We don't understand it. It surpasses our, our ability to understand it, to grasp it. And we could say that this is holy ground. This is holy ground. This is a supernatural. What happened here was a supernatural uh, um, uh, conflict. And again, it gives us, it gives us a, a, a profound insight to our Lord's heart. And again, I keep saying that because I, I, I'm hoping, I'm praying that, that that would be what in, uh, uh, 
comes out of us, that we can see the glory and the majesty of our Lord. Because yes, his glory transcends our understanding, but there's much that we can grasp that makes him, that makes him the more glorious, all the more worthy of our worship and obedience. And this is precious, precious insight into our Lord's heart, into his, to his, what we just read into his heart. Uh, apart from the cross, apart from the cross, uh, there has been no greater agony experienced by any human, any human being than this one. No man has ever suffered this way. And this is the second, this is the second greatest agony, the, the cross being, being the first one. But this is, the, this is the pinnacle of his life of suffering, of sorrow and grief. Uh, this is the night uh, when he anticipates drinking the cup of divine wrath from the Father. That he will drink, drink it fully at the cross. This is the anticipation of that. And this is a conflict that, that, that he has never had. He's never had this conflict before. And this is far greater than the previous encounters that he had with Satan before this. The first one being, do you guys remember the first temptation? In the wilderness, right? Spirit took him to the wilderness. And you remember what happened there. That's in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. Well, the whole purpose of that temptation was to try to deflect him from the cross. Satan was telling him at that particular uh, um, temptation, you don't have to go through this suffering. You don't have to go through this, this humiliation. You don't have to go through this deprivation. You could have it all now. You could have the popularity now. You could have the kingdoms now. Why do you have to go through all of this? That was the first temptation. And all of that temptation was to keep from, from the cross. Second temptation, and we saw this a few weeks ago. Second temptation was when, um, when, when he told the, the disciples, I'm going to die. Do you remember that? He says, I'm going to die. What did Peter say? He said, wait a minute. That, that, what are you talking about? That can't happen. That can happen. The Lord looked at Peter, looked at him in the eyes, and what did he say? Get thee behind me, Satan. He was being tempted by the mouth of Peter. It was coming through the mouth, through the, through the mouth of Peter. Now, this, this is important for us to understand that Satan has always, always tried to keep from Jesus from going to the cross. That was the last thing he wanted for Christ to go to the cross. And in here at the garden, like the snake grass that he is, he shows up again. And we know that because in Luke 23, 53, that's the parallel account to this. Luke 23, 53 says this. Hear it well. Hear it good. This is the hour of the power of the darkness. You hear that? This is the hour of the power of the darkness. Three, three definite, I was going to say three, no. Three definite articles. <clears throat> the hour of the power of the darkness. That means that this is, this is the specific time for Satan to act, to, to act. This is the last effort to try to keep him from the cross. The last stand to keep him from the cross. Saint, Satan's hope was to, for, for Christ to say, I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't. And this is, the, this is a great, great battle as we're going to see. The struggle was so severe that Jesus said in verse 34, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. And that's an overview of what was going on here. And we're going to get into the text. Verse 32 tells us, it starts by telling us they came. That was Jesus and the disciples. That was Jesus and the disciples. At, they were at the, uh, um, at the Passover supper. Um, they were on, on an upper room having this, uh, the, the Passover supper. Judas had left out of there to plot, to plot the, uh, the, the arrest of Jesus. Uh, it was the end of the evening. It was a Thursday night around midnight. They get up, they sing, they sing the song, which they were, they were used to that. And then they headed out to the uh, Mount of Olives. They sang a hymn, and they headed out to the, to, to the Mount of Olives. That's what the verse says. And then it went, they went to a place called Gethsemane. That was a garden. That was a garden that Jesus and the disciples would often use. Uh, 
the, the cities were crowded. Jerusalem was crowded, so always crowded. So they didn't have uh, any green inside the, the, uh, the, the cities. They would have their gardens outside the city, and that's where they would, they would go and, I guess, have their picnics or whatever they, whatever they, they would do there. But the disciples, and, the disciples and, and our Lord would use this particular um, uh, garden often. And it was Passover, so there were thousands, hundreds of thousands of people there. Many people there and in the city. So they would use this to accommodate people at times too, where there wasn't that much room in the, uh, in the city, and they were used to, to accommodate them. And what John 18, 18.2 tells us is that Jesus resorted to this, to this garden often with, with his disciples. So they knew this place. They, they, they knew this place. They would use it to get away from the crowds. So they get to the Garden of Gethsemane, which means olive press. That's what Gethsemane means. And he said to his disciples, verse 34, remain here and watch. Remain here and watch. But Luke 22:40 tells us something else. He says that he also told them, which this would be what our passage says later on, but in Luke tells us this, that's what he said when he got there, pray that you may not enter into temptation. Now in verse 27, verse 27 of our chapter, uh, he just had warned them, he just had warned them of the danger of falling away, of the danger of being scattered, of denying him to Peter. He has warned them of all of this. So here come he, he comes to the garden, he tells them, watch and pray, watch and pray. In other words, he was, telling him, he was telling them, use the means of grace. Use the means of grace. Now, this wasn't new to them. Many times he had repeated that, that lesson to them. Pray that you may not enter into temptation and be overcome by that temptation. So our Lord was saying, don't depend on your own strength. Don't depend on your own strength. Call upon the Lord. And is it the same for us? Isn't it the same for us? We need to be, we need to use the means of grace to overcome sin, to be victorious. And that's vigilant prayer. That's vigilant prayer. Yes, we have a high priest. He's praying for us, interceding for us, just as Jesus prayed for, for, for Peter. You remember that? He prayed for Peter, and he said, I have prayed for you, Peter, that your faith may not fail. And what he was telling him, I'm praying so you, your faith may not fail, and it won't be a complete failure. A total collapse. So we have an interceding priest, high priest. And, and we are secure. We are secure of total failure by his prayers. But, listen, we will lose the battle with temptation along the way if we don't pray and depend on God's strength rather than our own strength. Rather than our own strength. And they should have been praying. They should have been praying. Because what was coming, it was coming hard times. It was coming difficult times, dark times. Now, in the next scenes of our, of our passage, I'm going, to give you four, I'm going to give you four points. This time it's four fingers, four points. And the first one, I'm going to try to get to the four. I think I will. <clears throat> the first one is a supernatural affliction. A supernatural affliction. Uh, this affliction uh, that our Lord goes through transcends anything we know, anything we've ever known, or we would know. And I'll, I'll, explain it, I'll explain it when I get there. But in verse 33, he says he took, uh, he took with them Peter, James, and John. So you know that every time we see our Lord and he's doing something, he takes those three all the time, right? Peter, James, and John, they were, the, they were the leaders of the group, if you will. And this was, these guys were going to learn a lesson. They were going to learn, learn a lesson. They were going to learn it because they would be the ones who would influence the others, the, the other disciples. And they were going to learn an important lesson in how important it is to pray so they will not fall into temptation. Right? Now... Uh, that we're going to learn it, how we all learn sometimes. How do we learn? By failure, right? By failure. They, 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 they were failing to pray, and because of that, they were going to fail the, the temptation. And that's how we learn. We learn by failure. 
And so he takes the inner circle, uh, the ones who, who, who are very confident on themselves, and he takes them to expose their weakness because these three were very confident. You remember Peter? Peter, a little while ago, he tells him, you're going to deny me. And what did Peter said? Never. I will die for you. That's not going to happen, right? And then sometime uh, before that, uh, um, James and John's mother comes and tells Jesus, you know, hey, can, can one of my sons be at the, uh, at the right hand and the other one at the left at the kingdom? And our Lord tells, them, tells her and them, because they were them who was telling the mother to go and say that. They didn't have the nerve to say it themselves, so they sent mom for the, to ask the question. And he tells them, would you be able to drink of the cup that I will, be, that I will drink? What did they say? Absolutely. Yes, we can. Here they are. Here they are. So because they are the most overconfident, he's taking them. And he takes them to pray. Now, we need to say something about prayer just a little bit here. Because if our Lord Jesus Christ himself needed to pray in the face of temptation, how much more do we need to pray? How much more do we need to pray? The Bible tells us that he was tempted in every point, just as we are, right? But without sin. And that's because he drew on the powers, on the, on the Father's power and protection. And it's something interesting, my brothers and sisters, because every time our Lord needed to do, uh, when he, when, uh, um, I shouldn't say special, but there was something, a special occasion, like when he, when he, uh, he was going to pick up the disciples, what does the Bible tell us that he did? We spend the whole night praying. The whole night praying. So if our Lord needed to pray the whole night, and he was the essence of purity. He was the essence of holiness. He was the essence of righteousness. And he needed to pray. How much more do we need to pray? And I believe sometimes our lives, our spiritual lives are, are mediocre. Because our prayer life is mediocre. We don't call upon the Lord for protection. And that's why our lives are all over the place. We're slip sliding all over the place. We're falling all over the place. Because we don't watch him pray. We don't watch him pray. We need that. So the three, the three go with Jesus to a certain point, right? Uh, Luke tells us in his account that he left them in a place and then he, a, stone's, uh, a stone's throw, he, he, he goes ahead of them. And verse 33 says that he began to be distressed and troubled. Now the word distress is very, very interesting word because we use distress as stressful and it was stressful for him. But I want you to see this word because uh, in Greek is ekthambeo. Um, which means to be amazed. He was amazed. And now the question is, what would amaze Jesus? He's omniscient. He knows everything. What, what's going to amaze him if he knew everything? What is going to stun him? What is going to shock him? Is there any experience that he's never had? Is there anything that he doesn't know, is there? Question is, the answer is yes. Yes. There is, there is an experience he's never had before. And he's going to have it now. There's, a, there's knowledge of that experience, of, of that experience that he has never had. And he's, he's about to have it. He's about to have it. And he's amazed. He's amazed in what he's experiencing because it's completely foreign to him. It's completely alien to him. Every, completely alien to him to everything that he knows he's at, that he's at, has ever known. And he's astonished. He's amazed. And the word troubled, the word troubled means to be anguished, to be anguished to a level that's incomprehensible. So our Lord is amazed, astonished, 
at the level of anguish that he's feeling over this thing. This is something new to him. This, he didn't know this before. This is something new to him. But what was causing this anguish and this uh, amazement? Or this, the, the anguish. What was causing that? That's the question. Was it the betrayal of Judas? Was it because that the disciples soon they were going to be scattered and they were going to, they were going to be deserters? Was it because of the, of the crown of thorns? Was it because of the scourging that he was going to receive, the spitting and, and all of that? Was it all of that? The suffering that he was going to go through that? <clears throat> what was it? The crucifixion? Dying? What's making him feel amazed? Now, all of those things, all of those things would make him feel definitely, uh, would cause him a great deal of sorrow. But it was something, something uh, beyond that. The anguish and amazement was something beyond that. And it is the anticipation, this is what was causing it, the anticipation of experiencing the Father's will and embracing the role of becoming sacrificed for sin. He was anticipating that. And this is something completely foreign to him. He has never known sin, he has never kn- and he has never known the wrath of God. He has never been separated from the Father. Never. And he's feeling that anticipation of all of that, and he's feeling all this, this anguish and amazement at the same time. Now listen. As the God-man, as, as God, not the God-man yet, but as, as God, as God, he's not temptable. James, uh, James 1, 3 tells us that God can't be tempted. God can't be tempted. As God, he's not temptable. He's not able to sin. But as man, he is temptable because Hebrews 14, 15 tells us that he was tempted at all points like we are. So he could be tempted. He was, able, he, he was able to be tempted. Can he sin? No, he cannot sin. He cannot sin, right? So he could be tempted. He cannot be tempted success, successfully because he's not able to sin. And that's because his struggle, is not, his struggle is not like ours. We are tempted by the, what are we tempted by? We are tempted by the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, right? That's how we get tempted. That's, that's us. But our Lord had none of that. Our Lord had none of that. He had no human sinfulness. He, had, he, was, he was fully man, but no human sinfulness. There was nothing in his nature, nothing in his nature that would draw him to sin. We do. We do. We have those impulses inside of us already, our sinfulness, that draw us to sin, right? How many of you know that? We could all raise the hand. You guys are not going to leave me up here by myself because I know that we all feel it. We all have those impulses inside of us that draw us, that pulls us to sin. We struggle because the power of evil is so strong in us that it draws us to that. But not him. Not him. And so he was tempted, his temptation is not attacking him at the point of sin in his vulnerability to that, like we are. He's been attacked at the point of holiness. You get that? At the point of holiness. He is holy. We struggle because we have, again, we have that power of evil in us. Uh, we battle against uh, the present, ever-present of unholy impulses. They're, they're inside of us, and they are strong. And we struggle to do what's right, and we struggle to, to grasp, to, to get a hold of, of righteousness. And our battle is to fight with, the, with that, with those gripping evil things inside of us. But not our Lord, not, not Jesus. He struggled precisely the opposite of that. Precisely the opposite of that. Because he is his holy nature. Listen, his holy nature, his whole being, himself sinless. He is the, again, like I told you, he's the essence of purity. He's total righteousness. He's perfect love and he has Perfect, he was perfectly obedient to, to God. So he, he struggled because the, the power of uh, holiness was the only thing that was inside of him. That's all he knew. That's all he knew. 
That righteousness was the only motive and impulse in his holy, his holy nature. And what the, father was, what the Father was asking him to do was to embrace sin, not as a sinner, to embrace sin, but not as a sinner, not as a sinner, but as a sin barrier, as a sin barrier, to take the wrath of God for sin and to receive divine punishment. And he was anticipating all of that, and he was feeling that. Uh, and now li listen to this because this is important. The level of divine wrath was so staggering, was so staggering because he would embrace eternities of wrath, eternities of wrath, eternities of divine punishment. Do you get that? In other words, for every sinner from whom he died, he took that sinner's eternal wrath. You get that? We were supposed to pay for our sins, right? The wages of sin is death. And it's not like we're just going to die and that's it. No, death is separation from God eternally. So we will have to pay eternal, eternally for, for our sin. That price, that price is what was put on him. So for the millions of sinners that he died for, he took that million eternities the full wrath of all of, that, all of that. The thing is that he was innocent, undefiled, pure, holy. He wasn't, he wasn't a sinner, separate from sinners. And that's why the struggle was so immense, so strong. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, literally surrounded by sorrow, by grief. And he's engulfed in this grief to the point of death. His anguish so immense that the struggle of his own nature almost killed him. Almost killed him. And again, it was Satan trying to get him from going to the, to the cross. Luke twenty two forty three says that God, had, God sent them, God sent them a, 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 an angel to strengthen him. This was, and again, I, I don't, as I was studying this, we're sinful and we don't we just don't get this i had to stop and meditate on it and a few times i had to go in a bag and cry because when you start to think about this and meditate on all of this struggle that he had and i often say this what for why? Looking at my inside. Why for such a sinner? Why? And that's why I say when we look at this, this should give us a greater devotion to serve him and obey him. Because this is the price that he had to pay for us. Is he amazing or what? Indeed he is. So God had to send a, an angel because this was so severe. That stress in his physical body was so great that he began, he began to, to, to sweat drops of blood. There's a clinical, there's a clinical uh, name for this. It's called hematidrosis. I think I'm pronouncing it right. Or somebody will correct me. <laughs> Hematidrosis is what the, 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 this, this uh, clinical name for that. And what happens, what happens is that when the body goes under immense stress, the capillaries, the capillaries in, our, in, our, in the body, they, they engorge. They, they, they get swollen up and they burst. And they burst. And then it comes out, the sweat from our sweat glands. It comes out from our sweat glands, right? And that's what happened. And this is the greatest point of stress for a human being. The greatest uh, point of stress. Uh, and the anguish was so profound that an angel had to come and rescue him somehow. Some commentators, as I was reading, some commentators have suggested that he might have bled to death if that angel wouldn't have come and, and strengthened him because it was, it was so severe. The angel had to come and help him. Amazing. Amazing, right? 
That's what I'm saying when we think about this. It's just amazing. Verse 36 takes, takes us to our second point, a passionate plea or a passionate petition. He said, Abba, Father. Abba meaning daddy. We know that, right? That Abba means daddy. And it's a term of familiarity. We know, right? I, I don't, I don't, I'm a little bit too old to, but I, I, nobody calls me daddy. <laughs> nobody calls me daddy, right? That's a very intimate, that's a very intimate term, right? Now, no Jew, hear this, no Jew would call, would call God father. No Jew would call God father. Daddy, out of limits, definitely not. But here our Lord calls on the intimate, personal name of God as if pleading for that intimate, uh, intimate love to rescue him, to rescue him. And he says, he tells, he tells the father, Daddy, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Now it's true, right? All things are possible for God. All things are possible for God. But if that happens... We have serious trouble. We have a huge problem in our hands if that happens. Satan wins. Hell is full. Heaven is empty. Nothing nothing in the Bible is true. It's all a lie. And there is no salvation. because Because the Bible tells us that without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. There's no forgiveness of sin. So if that were to happen, we're done. We're done. But praise the Lord that that didn't happen. Nonetheless, the request is clear, right? The request is clear. We know what's in in our our Lord's heart. Remove this cup from me. Now, the the cup cup in the Old Testament is a symbol symbol of divine wrath, always. Um, Psalm 11, uh, Psalm 75, uh, Isaiah 57, Jeremiah 25, Jeremiah 49, Lamentations 4. And you could look at other passages that... Gives us that, that symbol of divine wrath in, in a cup. Um, <clears throat> so the cup is a cup of divine wrath, and our Lord has to drink the full cup of the wrath of the Father. And this is, not, this is something he had never experienced. He had never experienced this. He, 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 he knew it was coming. He knew this was coming. For certain he knew it was coming. A little bit earlier than that, in John 12, 27, uh, before all of this, he says in, in, in John 12, 27, he says, Now, now is my soul troubled. He's beginning to think about this moment. He's beginning to think about it. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. So he knew. He was clear. He knew about this. But here he says, what am I going to say? Am I going to tell the Father... Pass me from this hour? Well, guess what? That's exactly what he said. That's exactly what he said. He did say it. And in the midst of that horrible agony, he said, save me from uh, from this hour. Remove this cup from me. But hallelujah, because here comes the, the, the triumphant resolution. Triumphant resolution. Verse 36. Yet not what I will, but what you will. And isn't that what at the end what he said? I'm here to do my father's will. I'm here to do what my father shows me. I'm here to do what the father uh, desires of me. Just to do his will. To follow only his direction. That's what he always said. And that's exactly what he did. In the midst of that agonizing struggle. Resolute to do the wills. The will of the Father. But he's going through that. He's in the middle of all of that. And here comes our third point. And this is absolutely beautiful. Because in the middle of that. Now, I, 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 I know we've all struggled with stress. And I know there's been moments in our lives that, uh, uh, that we go through just different struggles and what have you. Everybody's different, Right? But there's people that go through depression. There's people that go through all kinds of different things, right? And, and when you're going in the middle of that, normally nobody wants to see anybody. And you don't care about anybody. 
All you care is about me. Me. But this is the amazing thing about, about our Lord. In the midst of that agonizing, suffering, sorrow that he's going through, he's thinking about his disciples. He's thinking about his disciples. He starts thinking about them in, in the middle of all of that. And this is our third point, a tender exhortation. Verse 37. He came and found them sleeping. He goes back to the three that were there. Peter, James, and John, and he said to Peter, Simon, he always called Simon, Simon, whenever he, whenever he was goofing up. Peter, when he was doing good. Simon, when he was, when he was goofing, goofing up. And he says, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? They were sleeping. They were sleeping. And we could say, man, it was midnight. Come on. One o'clock in the morning? Come on. But Luke helps us to understand a little bit more because in Luke 24, 43, it says <clears throat> that they were sleeping for sorrow. They were sleeping because they were full of sorrow too. See, things were not, had not been going the way they, they, they thought that it was going to go. Where was the kingdom? Where was the kingdom? Where was all the glory they had anticipated? Remember, they had seen all the miracles. They had seen all of that, and they think it kingdom is here. The Messiah is here. Good things are coming. And all of a sudden, the nation, the elders, everybody is against him. So they were, they were sad. It's all a sad thing. So they, went, so they went to sleep for sorrow. And sleep is a tranquilizer, right? Isn't it? Whenever we want to escape from something, what do we do? I want to take a nap. Yes. That's a, it's a tra tranquilizer. That's what people do. They go to sleep. And so their sorrow was so much that their eyes were exceedingly heavy. Heavy. But in verse 38, our Lord gives them, gives them and us, them and us, a warning. He says... Keep watching and praying that you may not come into temptation. And again, that is that old lesson again. Remember Matthew, when he was teaching them how to pray? What did he tell them? That how we should look at Luke 11 and Matthew 6 tells us that, right? Right? That we should pray. Part of our prayer should be lead us not into temptation. Not that he's going to lead us into temptation. Protect us from temptation. That should, be our, that should be our everyday prayer. Watch and pray. Be on the alert. Use the means of grace. Peter learned that. Peter learned that. He learned it very well, right? Because as he was writing in his letter, Peter, 1 Peter 5.8, he said, Be on the alert because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. He already had been devoured by that lion. So he says, I know what I'm talking about. Be alert and pray. Be alert and pray. He had denied Jesus, so he knew. He knew about, about all of that. And we need to be always prepared. So we should pray. And again, to trust on his strength, not, our own, not on our own strength. Brothers and sisters, good intentions, and we all have good intentions, they are not enough. They are not enough. Our Lord gives us this simple lesson. Verse, verse 38 at the end of the verse, the spirit is willing. How many of you know that the, the, the flesh is weak? I know the flesh is weak. Time to pray? Oh, man, tomorrow. Uh, later on. We're talking about prayer this, this morning downstairs. And we were talking about the race and, 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 and the training that, 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 that it involves all of that and the discipline. It's a discipline. And it, that's what the Bible calls it too. It's a discipline. Those are disciplines, right? And it's a discipline. Why do we call it discipline? Because it's not easy. And normally our flesh wants to do something. Our flesh wants to eat. Our flesh wants to uh, uh, indulge. Our flesh wants to drink. Our flesh wants to do everything. Our flesh don't, 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 don't want to study the word. I often hear this. I can't sleep at night. 
man, I'm having such a hard time sleeping at night. But when I read the Bible, first few verses, <laughs> isn't it amazing? The flesh is weak. And that's why we need the discipline. That's why we need to be disciplined at this. Prayer is important for our spiritual life to be strong. And again, that's why we're slip sliding all over the place. That's exactly why. Because we're not on the alert. We're not praying. Oh, God, help us. Help us to be people of prayer. We need that. We need that. Especially on these times. Because they were, they, it was dark times for them. And my brothers and sisters, they are dark times for us. Can you see that? Can you see the culture? Can you see the world? It's dark times. And if we don't run to him for our strength, if we don't go to the word of God for the wisdom, we fall by the wayside. We fall by the wayside. We need to be on the alert. <clears throat> And this is the beauty. He's concerned about their, he's concerned about their spiritual vulnerability about them. And that's beautiful, isn't it? Because in the midst of all of this, he's just in case you wonder. Just, to, just in case you wonder when you're going through a tough time, when you're going through a tough situation, where is Jesus? He's right there interceding for you. He's right there interceding for you. He's he's where he should be. So he hasn't forgotten you. Not for a minute. He's there. He ever lives to make intercession for us, the word says. Oh, again, our, Savior's, our Savior is beautiful. He goes back three times. He goes back three times, right? He goes back. He tells him, what's going on? You should be praying. So we see the affliction, the plea, the exhortation. And I got to the fourth one. Praise the Lord. <laughs> fourth point, a victorious submission. A victorious submission. He yields to the Father's will in each of the three prayer cycles. Each time he goes back, he says, now, now listen. When we read this, when we read this, it, it looks like it, it was just 10 minutes, right? He goes, a stone's throw, he goes, drops down, he prays, you know, the things he says, then he comes back. These were hours. These were hours of agony that was, that, that was happening here. So it's not a, a quick thing. It's not a quick thing. <clears throat> but for each of the three cycles of prayer, he, he, he yields to the Father. And then he finally comes out triumphant, majestically tri triumphant. Verse 41, in the, middle of, um, in the middle of the verse, it says, and he said, it's enough. Temptation is over. The struggle is finished. Prayer is done. The answer is clear. The hour has come. And without hesitation, without hesitation, he's going to do the will of the Father. And hallelujah, he's going to the cross. He's going to the cross for, to pay for your sin and my sin. That's our glorious Savior. That is our glorious Savior. He's going to the cross. Last verse. <clears throat> now listen. As he's coming out of this, he says, it's enough. He steps up triumphantly, the cup in his hands. Our Lord is not shaking. He's not trembling. He stands bloody sweat, soaked. Because he had been sweating. His clothes are soaked with, and we know how it looks, right? Blood and sweat. You've seen that. He's all bloodied, exha exhausted, but unbowed. And then he gives the triumphant order. The hour has come. Verse 42, rise, let us be going. And he got up and he went right towards them. Right towards them, victoriously. Now, John 18 tells us the rest of what happened, right? They said that it must have been around a thousand there. People come to you. That, that's amazing. A thousand people to come and get one man. 
And the betrayer, Judas, is heading, is heading the crowd. And as they come, they come and they said, he tells them, who are you looking for? Who are you looking for? And they tell him, Jesus, he says, I am he. What happens? All thousand, like bowling pins, bam, they fall. Three times. Do you see our triumphant Jesus? Do you see that? Victorious, victorious. And as he heads to the cross, and we will see that later on, but as he, head to, he heads to the cross, he's triumphant already. He's victorious already. And that's our beautiful Lord. Is he amazing? Is he beautiful? Yes, he is. That's why I tell you, as I was reading, I was reading, I, a few times I had to stop and just weep. Unworthy I am. And so are you. But he did it for us. All of this suffering. And that's why I, 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 I would tell myself, why? Why? For what? But it was out of love for you and me. And that's why we're here. And that's why our devotion, and that's why our obedience, and that's why our worship should be even greater. And as we leave this place and come back again, we should come back with a deeper desire to know him, a deeper desire to worship him. That's my prayer. And I hope that's what comes out of your heart. By your heads. Heavenly Father, thank you, thank you, thank you. The truth is that that's all, that's all we could say. Thank you. We are unworthy. We are weak. We are feeble. Our love is all over the place, Lord. Sometimes we love you. Sometimes we don't. And our actions show it. Our attitudes show it. Our devotion shows it. Oh, Lord, help us to be people of prayer. Help us to see, to gaze at your beauty of what you have done. And may a, and may a fire ignite, would ignite in our hearts to serve you and obey you the way you want us to. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Praise the Lord.